Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Look at the word of the Lord, starting with verse number nine this evening, starting with verse number nine. The Bible says, and after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Hoite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand cleaved into the sword. The sword wrought a great And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. He said that they were in a battle. Philistines came. seemed like all the men of Israel left except namely one, and perhaps David that was, but he fought so long that his hand had become weary, and it became cleaved unto his sword. Amen. For a little while tonight, I want to minister this subject matter, unable to let go unable to let go hallelujah let's go to the lord in prayer right now father i love you jesus tonight pray god that you're able to help us lord jesus through god this message lord this evening god give lord jesus us instruction let your anointing lord god touch us anew and afresh i pray oh lord give us guidance lord even through the remainder of this service god bless those that are here tonight God, there's something perhaps will be able to be spoken into their souls, into their spirits. I pray, O oh Lord God, today we'll give it all to you and thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening, unable, unable to let go. There is a concept in science that is called a forced fusion. Forced fusion is nothing more, but it is produced under very intense heat something that's in it's it's produced under very intense heat or very extreme scientific conditions as a matter of fact the word fuse in and of itself means to melt or to pour together the word foundry where things of this measure take place a foundry is a place where metal is melted and poured it is in this place sometimes that metal is also shaped by a very large cast and die Process. It comes from a Latin word that means to melt. Fusion is something that is melted together as a group or a whole. Similar words for fusion may be union or merging or alliance or coalition. Uh, to fuse is to consolidate, to link, to combine, or to solidify. The area of the text that I read you tonight, we know very little concerning the full details of this battle and how all of this ensued but we do know that it developed just as we have pictured here in our text this evening also cross-referenced in the book of chronicles as well these men who surrounded david the mighty men his army that he had underneath his care those are those that came in touch with david whenever david was going through some of the lowest points of his life They were willing, according to Scripture, to go without the camp 
bear the reproach to contend earnestly with David for whatever the will of God would be for his and their life. The stuff that these men were made out of, the Bible says that some of them were in debt and discouraged. Uh, frankly speaking, they were just a group of degenerates and, and they had come to uh, pair up with David and they were on a run in many respects uh, from the law, a shiftless lot. But David took these men of lesser than, than normal or good character and made a very exceeding great army out of them. Many of them that would be accounted as mighty men unto them. Him And what we can understand is that David found himself in a very untenable position of being threatened by Israel's strongest enemy at that time, an enemy that had been very faithful and consistent, that of the Philistines. David had no doubt in his lifetime a number of enemies in his life, and he knew how to deal with them and, and, and that's probably another sermon all of its own within itself. But the facts are these. We understand that in this particular battle on this day that it was only David and Eleazar. We know that they were outnumbered by a very great number. The odds were against them whenever you look at the numbers of the Philistines. Amen. We can determine that all of the support, other support that David and Eleazar may have had fled from the battle site whenever they seen the approach of the Philistine army. Other than that, very little detail is given to us in this passage of scripture about the, the battle. However, whenever the fight cleared whenever the smoke settled the bible tells us that the philistines had been leveled and there was only standing really two men there among them all and that was the two men who had stayed to fight david and eleazar and with that the bible brings a very interesting thing that happened to eleazar something that happened that he could not let go of something the Bible says that his hand had clave to his sword or cleaved to his sword. If you will, his hand had become fused in a certain way or essence to his sword. The battle had caused such a stir inside of Eleazar about what he was fighting for and what he was fighting about that it affected him without. The stir was so great within that it had an external effect without that his hand became cleaved to his sword. I believe tonight there are some lessons that we can learn from this particular battle, from this fierce battle of just two men against the odds of their enemy. There are some important lessons, I believe, in our own spiritual quest and journey that we can derive in our everyday life from this story. And one of the lessons is this, is that we can gather from this text that the power of one comes from a man who knows himself and knows his God. Amen. He is not the type of man that is turned with the masses, amen, or the public opinion that tucks tail and run whenever the adversary encroaches upon territory or ground. He's not the individual that's going with the advice or the words of everybody else that's in his domain or within earshot of him. But this is the power of a man that knows himself and knows him God, his God. He's not asking about whether 
whether or not you think we can take them. He's not asking the opinion of the Israelites that are fleeing away. He knows what their opinion is. But if he's going to seek the will or the opinion of any, he's going to seek the will and the opinion of God in his personal, in his personal dilemmas. So much so that he will stand flat-footed with a solitary sword in his hand because he understands himself and what he's capable of. But more importantly, he understands the capability of his God. Whatever else, whoever the crowd may be and whatever they may do, Eleazar was willing to draw his sword and struggle on with or without any other support. There was something within the spirit of Eleazar that said, I'm not going with the masses. I'm not going with the status quo. I know as long as I have God, me and him alone are the majority in this circumstance. My responsibility is to God in reality because it ends and begins with me right here and right now. It's not the responsibilities of others to dictate what direction I should go, but it's the responsibility of God. And if God says stay, stay. If God says fight, fight. If God says turn left, you turn left. It doesn't matter what the masses are doing. It doesn't matter what the popular opinion is saying. That does not matter. It matters what God says. It matters what God wants. It matters what God guarantees. For if God sends you a direction, he'll make a way that the path will be clear for you to go. It's not to say you'll be without struggle, but it's to say that you'll meet the destination if he said go here or yonder God. The question sometimes arises in, our, in the mind concerning those of means, and we may wonder why they do not use their efforts for the kingdom of God. But what we got to understand is this tonight, folks. We must take our own abilities, our own giftings, and our own talents and use them for the purpose of the kingdom. Amen. There might be a lot of people, amen, that around you, there could have been better swordsmen that left the field that day. There could have been better fighters that left the field that day. But the concern was not what is everybody else that is better gifted and better talented doing. But the question is, is what, I, what am I going to do with what God has handed me? What am I going to do with what God has entrusted to me? We can't sermonize about there's somebody better than me. That may be the case, but they're leaving the field and you're staying on the battleground. Your question is this, what do I do with what God has entrusted with me, whether it's less or more than those that are fleeing? What am I going to do with what God has entrusted to me? Talents and abilities, time, amen. But it all comes down to this. I must use the means that God has gifted, provided, placed in my life. The amazing thing is I can't use somebody else's ability for my own. It would be great on times when Brother Mason's in New York, that I could use his ability on a Wednesday night. But it don't work like that. The process of life, he's just not here. So what do I do? I gotta do. I gotta be responsible over what God has entrusted to me. Is it to that level? No. But God knows what my level is. 
God knows what my level is and whether or not I am using what he has entrusted to me. Someone say amen. Amen. You know, the easiest way to get the target off yourself is to put it on somebody else. Uh-huh. The easiest way to keep ability or gift or talent in the closet is to see what someone else isn't using. Whenever they were sitting at the dinner table there with the Lord in John chapter 21... Here, Peter is speaking concerning the beloved disciple John. And he's asked the Lord, he said, Lord, what is he going to do? Peter says, Lord, what about John? What is John going to do? Jesus told, Jesus told Peter, he said, hey, if he tarries till I come, that's his problem. He said, but Peter, you got to follow me. He said, I'm not standing here answering for what everybody else is going to do with what I've entrusted to them, but you've heard the clarion call of the Lord upon your life. You've got to follow me. You've got to act and react according to how I've gifted you. Oh, yes. Amen. It's far easier to criticize the work of others. But it's far more profitable to invest in yourself. In changing circumstances around you with the work that the Lord has given you to do. J.K. Chesterton said, I do not believe in a fate that falls on men however they act. He says, but I do believe in a fate that falls on them unless they act. Amen. Eleazar's responsibility was not diminished because of the others that left the field. His responsibility to what he had in his hand was not diminished because of the half-hearted efforts of the others that left the field. But his responsibility was his responsibility to rise to the occasion of the hour. Whenever David needed a mighty man, he says, I'm staying. All I got is a sword, but I'll do what I can do with a sword. I don't, I can't do what I could do with a spear. I don't have a spear, but I'll do what I can do with a sword in my hand. Someone say amen. So my responsibility ought to make me to rise to the occasion. Amen. I think the old saying, I think this is the same. Amen. With every privilege, there is a responsibility. It's a two-sided coin. On one hand, you have privilege. On the other hand, is a responsibility. I believe Eleazar fell in that row. Amen. What a privileged person to be counted a mighty man for David. But with that privilege came a responsibility that whenever the occasion arose to employ his giftings and his talents, he had to give himself to that. Amen. Does this worldliness grip others? Amen. Perhaps in the crowd on the battlefield that day or in our modern day churches? Sure they do. But that means those that are spiritual need to stand up and arise to the occasion. Is there a sense of spiritual lethargy and lukewarmness across the United States in churches today that consume people? Absolutely. But that means those of us that are blood-bought, full of passion, full of energy, we need to arise to the occasion. Is there a loosening of the standard in the world today and engulfing them? Yes, yes, yes. But that means those of us that have the banner flowing high, we got to stand up and arise to the occasion of the high calling of God. It's our responsibility. 
Amen. As it would seem to be paid into the scripture for every failure, it would seem in the Bible there was a victor. For every demon that had loved this present world and left, if you will, the support of the mystery of the likes of Paul and Peter, there is a Barnabas that comes along that's a son of consolation. Amen. <laughs> For every Judah where things kind of go AWOL, there's a Joseph that come in his stead dreaming dreams and seeing things of what God's going to do. For every Cain that takes the life of his brother, there is an Abel that brings an excellent sacrifice. Amen. Into the presence of the Lord. For every Saul that keeps not the commandments of God without any remorse and without any repentance, there's a David that falls too but gets back up through a spirit of repentance. For every Judas that betrays the Lord, there's a John that is the beloved that has his heart, his ear on the heart of God here in the population of the beat of the Lord. For every failure, there is a victor. Someone that rose to the occasion and took responsibility. We're not to glorify when people stumble. The Bible teaches us against that teaches we shouldn't do that lest whatever the stumbling is at that moment in time the Lord stops that and transfers it to you in the book of Proverbs not to rejoice over that but what that should do for us is put a little passion in our step and arise to an occasion feel in a gap if you will make up a hedge if you will hallelujah the Bible says in Colossians 3 2 it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Matthew, look now, Matthew 16, 23 says, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Eleazar was there. He understood it could be loss of life. He understood some of the natural things that could occur here at this juncture of the road of the battle. But the call that he had at that moment was not of the earthly, but it was of the heavenly. He says, I'm willing to sacrifice some of the earthly for the chance of grasping a hold of the heavenly and the outcome of what God has. It is up to us. The Bible says, set your affection. I prayed it back there tonight as we were having pre-service prayer with those that are on the platform I said God help us tonight to set our affections on those things that are above for the next hour and a half that we would set them that we would control them that we would focus them on things that are why because there's an occasion right here there's a situation right here that I'm responsible and privileged for and I need to stand up and be counted All it takes is for one to find a spirit of determination to accomplish a task. Amen. There is no absolute necessity in numbers. There's power in one. Elijah acted whenever he thought he was by himself and all alone and seen the fire fall upon his altar that he made on Mount Carmel before he ever knew there were 7,000 in a cave somewhere. The power of one. Good for us to remember a little bit. That is this. 
They say that three quarters of ministry many times is just showing up. Amen. I read here lately of a retired NFL player, an offensive lineman. He said, hey, I want you all to understand. He was talking. He's a retiree now, so, you know, he's just letting it all hang out. He said, I want you to understand that the toughest thing about staying in shape for a professional athlete is walking through the front doors of the gym. He said, so, that is, that, so that's what I focus on. I don't focus on how much I'm going to lift that day. I don't focus on how many reps. I don't focus on any of that. My focus is just getting to, into the doors of the gym. Because once I get into the gym, I know that good conditioning is going to follow. I just got to show up and get there. Folks, Holy Ghost, hear me right now. What some of us need is just to get to God's house. What some of us need is just to get to the prayer room. What some of us need is just to get to the table and refuse the food. But if you can just get there, the fasting will happen the prayer will happen oh yeah the encounter with heaven will happen you just need to get there show up that's a great portion of ministry that's right let me tell you the greatest the greatest problem with the world you know we have today you can't find good workers they're great I would dare to say a great portion of the problem is this they don't show up. It's hard to work somebody that's not there. It's hard to work somebody that's not there. I guarantee if they showed up, they had a job designated for them. For them to do. There's plenty of work around the kingdom. Plenty of work around the kingdom. Would you show up? Faithfully show up. Show up when it's good. Show up when it's bad. Show up when other people are leaving. Show up when other people are coming. Just show. Just show up. God has a work for you to do. Someone say amen. It's not anything to be take personal. They've always said that the rule is the 80-20 rule, the 20, that 20% 20 of the people do 80% of the work. That's been the rule for as long as I can remember. Amen, not just for business, but churches and anything. That any matter of volunteer work, paid work, it matters not. It seemed like 20% will do 80% of the work. And it's not anything to be taken personal. What it means is I just got to roll up my sleeves and keep my sword in my hand. There's times it seems like there's a big, this is kind of an oxymoron, like there's a big minority. A big minority in the battle. But you know what? Similar circumstances were paved, even in some scripture, where miracles occurred. Many times. There are the loaves and the fishes of 5,000s and 3,000s. But there's a lot of the miraculous that took place among the few. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, these, these scriptures should be familiar to some. The Bible says, Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto him. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands, everybody say Zerubbabel. 
his hands shall also finish it. Thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you, for who hath despised the day of small things. For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. What is the story? Amen. Rebuilding, recapturing the temple, the tabernacle. Zerubbabel went back with, a, with some people and it seems like by him and those people they begin to build. Everything comes to a halt. There's discouragement. There's people walking off the battleground. People that knew how to do mortar and brick. People that knew how to do carpentry off the battleground. But here's Zerubbabel standing there. I know what God said. There's something here to do and it's my responsibility. So I'm gonna rise to the occasion. I might not be the carpenter like so and so or be able to do mortar and brick like such and such. But I'm gonna rise to the occasion. And the word of the Lord came with a word of encouragement to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, your hand was in this whenever it started and your hand is gonna be in this whenever it finished. Because I see you of a man that arose to the occasion and whatever your talents and abilities are you have subjected them to me I'll use them to finish what I started man God is looking for some people that's in this thing in the beginning that'll still be in it in the end that says hey they just surrendered their hearts their minds their hands and they're going to be this in this thing when it finishes because they have surrendered and subjected to me what they have Though by their estimation it may not be much, but what they have, they arose to the occasion, and it's going to be great. And God used one man for a great exploit. In another, in Ezekiel chapter 37, we read a few verses of Scripture. I hope this is all right. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel said, carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones caused me to pass by them around about and behold there were very many in the open valley and lo they were everybody say very dry and he said unto me me Ezekiel said son of man can these bones live and I answered O Lord God thou knowest again he said unto me prophesy upon these bones there's only one body and only one guy in this vision right now that isn't dead bone dry and that's Ezekiel and so whenever God says prophesy to these bones yes that means you Ezekiel prophesy upon these bones and say them oh you dry bones hear the word of the Lord thus saith the Lord God of these bones behold I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sin you upon you and will bring upon flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, Ezekiel said, as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together bone to his bone and when I beheld lo the sinew and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me prophesy unto the wind prophesy son of man and say to the wind thus saith the Lord God come from the four winds O breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came unto them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army God took one man and his mouth to a valley of despicable, very dry bones. If I can say it like this, 
God took Ezekiel to the valley of a defeated army. What do you got to offer me, Ezekiel? I can offer you my words. We need to be careful, Sister Margaret, how we talk. Because when the Bible says there's life and death that's in the power of the tongue, our negativity has killed more things. Negativity has killed more things than the optimist has ever brought to life. He says if you speak to him, don't tell him about how you think it's going to happen or perhaps it'll happen or maybe it'll happen. You talk to those bones. You tell them to live. You tell them to live. I know it's totally diabolical to their present circumstance, but you tell them to live. You prophesy to the wind. Let them all of a sudden what began to happen because of one man's gift, one man's tool, and one man arising to the occasion, bone comes to bone. Sinew comes upon them. Flesh comes upon them. Breath comes in them. And the Bible says when the day ended, there stood an exceeding great army all because of the obedience of one man Uh amen now listen we have our personal limitations it's good to acquaint ourselves with what they are but also surmise that there are countless stories that God took personal limitations and made them exaltations for him. But we do have personal limitations, undoubtedly. There was a cartoon that depicted a man who was getting his palm read by a fortune teller. As she studied the man's palm, she said, you will be sad, miserable, and poor. Until you're 30 years old. Gee, the man replied, hopefully. What happens when I'm 30? The fortune teller told him, you will get used to it. (laughs) What are you saying? Sometimes our... Our reaction to the circumstance of life has everything to do with our own well-being, our own success. I understand today that there will be personal limitations in this life, in Paul McGee's life. That maybe to a certain extent I got to get a little used to. Then there's others that have a remedy for everything. Here's the thing. I can understand my own personal limitations and the ones I can't do anything about. But I also got to survey the limitations I do have the ability to do something about. Amen. Not every limitation is a lifelong rut that's unchangeable. Years ago when we were at the Boyd's, he was considering someone there for another position <clears throat> concerning finances there at the church in Hatch Bend. He came and he talked to me about it. He had two people that he was thinking about. One person was, was just, just very, very good with that, that type of, of thing, finances, so on and so forth, uh, being able to handle those, those type of things and spreadsheets and so on and so forth, just had a, a bend toward that direction. 
And then there was another individual that barely knew how to turn on a computer. You understand what I'm saying? So on the technological side was somewhat handicapped. But what he told me concerning this person, though, that was technologically handicapped, he said, he said, Brother McGee said, I tell you what, you ain't going to find a more loyal person, a person of any greater character. And I, we were just there, and we we'd had a lot of these type of talks. I said, Brother Boyd, I said, you can, you can teach people how to use a spreadsheet and turn on a computer on that, but it's hard-pressed to be able to teach somebody loyalty and character. What are you saying? There's some things in life that is not always a lifelong personal limitation. You have the ability of training and acquiring amen, knowledge and to be able to go a little bit further. So number two, we, we must though learn tonight that there are some personal limitations in our lives. And the limitation for Eleazar there on the battlefield was this. And that is his hand, the Bible says, grew weary. His hand grew weary. And let me tell you, it's not a matter of if you get tired. You're going to get tired. It's a matter of when you get tired and weary. What, are, what am I going to do? What am I going to do concerning this matter of when I get tired and weary? Because you can only give so much of yourself. Every single one of us. Pastor down. You can only give so much of yourself. And there's reasons why we get weary. Number one, the one that we always like to pinpoint, put a hat on him, the enemy. The enemy. Practical tonight, Eleazar became weary because of the massive amount of enemies that he was fighting against. Because sometimes whenever the crowd is low and there's people leaving the battlefield, there's less people to do just the same amount of fighting. Amen. And so we can get weary. Amen. There's other times though we go in there and we can fight hell with a water pistol. And we can just turn our worlds upside down. Amen. Just change everything in six weeks or since six months. And we go in there, man, with that, that enthusiasm. But somewhere along the way, half the manpower is shut off. And we find ourselves, it's not happening in six weeks. And it's not even happening in six months. And all the plotters have went home. <laughs> Amen. The racehorses have just tired out. And despite all these things of the day of small things, we just keep doing what we're doing. And we're driving hard. And we get wearied. And we get fatigued and we get tired. It comes and settles in into our life. Because listen, folks, doing something for God, listen to me, doing something for God through the long haul. You hearing me? It's not nearly as easy as all the dreamers make it out to be. The, the long haul. So sometimes you get weary. Because the enemies you're fighting. Other times you're weary because of the help that you are lacking. Nobody there to help him except David. Amen. Start looking for support on the left, on the right. Uh, there's very little, if any, that's being provided. Amen. And so that's why it's important for us to do our diligence with whatever we may have. Amen. Because where they may weary one, it'll be harder to weary two. Be harder to weary five. Be harder to weary ten. <laughs> Amen. So there's some great mercy involved here. Look, Eleazar, there in the scripture, only 
got weary. Look at this. This is at least the way the Bible portrays it. He only got weary after he had beaten the Philistines. There's some great mercy that's involved here. Amen. He could afford to get weary now because the battle was over. He could afford to get weary now. And it seems like God in his great mercy comes upon us at times and he gives us enough strength for the day, enough manna, enough bread and manna for the meal, enough victory for the fight. Bible says in Deuteronomy 33, 25, he says, thy shoes, speaking to the children of Israel, shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. In other words, I'll give you enough strength for the days that you live. I'm not gonna give you a super abundance one day and a lesser abundance another day, but I'm gonna give you strength according to your days. And God does that in our life sometimes. It's not like there's a surplus that whenever we get done, we're tired and weary, but he gave us enough to make it through what we were going through. Uh-huh. The psalmist said in Psalms 138 and verse 3, in the day when I cried, David said, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Yeah. David said, I cried out. I said, Lord, I need a second wind. Lord, I need a, I need a little greater allotment today than I needed yesterday. He said, when I cried to the Lord, he gave me the strength that I needed for what was going on. Isaiah verse, chapter 40 and verse 29 said, he giveth power to the faint. Uh-huh. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Yeah. Amen. In 1 Peter 5, 10, the Bible says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish strength, and settle you. Yeah. Eleazar became tired after the battle was over. Jacob really didn't notice there in Genesis 38, or I believe it is 33 or 38, he didn't really notice the shrinking up the sinew upon his thigh till he had already apprehended victory and had his name changed. He was touched during the wrestling mat, but he didn't realize the full impact of it till he had already achieved victory. Whew. That's the handiwork of our God. Elijah wasn't under the juniper tree, discouraged, thinking about his life should be taken until he had already had victory on Mount Carmel. Remember, God glorifies and gets glory in our weakness. He's very careful at times to not let the weakness that we have show when it could endanger the victory he wants us to achieve. He'll give us strength to the point where strength is absolutely necessary and when it's no longer needed, we feel the weight of everything we've been fighting. I want to consider tonight the importance of the intensity Eleazar fought here with. The importance of the intensity. He gained a grip on the weapon that was afforded him that no doubt he had used. His weapon, the grip on his weapon in the right way. He had it in his hand. It's imperative for our generation. He held on to the tool that he had. The gifting, the talent that he had. With everything that was within him. With all of his might. He held on to that tool. Stated it like this. The intensity 
of the battle marks the degree of the grip that you have on what God's afforded you. Uh Directly proportional to the intensity of the battle was the hand that claved to the tool that God had given him. See, there's some people that can't understand the intensity with which some people live out their lives and have the attitude, I can't let go. There's some things I have within my grip that can't be removed because there's been a force fusion that has taken place between what I've held on to. And it's not just a tool that I can pick up, but it's become a part of who I am. Amen. The pressure of the battle that he had in that battle was so much, his hand claved to it. Amen. There's some things in this life, spiritual life, amen, of Christendom, amen, fights that we fight against the world, against the flesh, against the adversary that are, should become so entrenched in our person, in our spirit, in our personality. It's not like you can divide it from the person because it's become a part of the person. Our relationship with God should be one of those. Our hunger for the word of God should be one of those. Our quest for spiritual wisdom and understanding should be one of those. Our devotion to God's word, a longing for revival, a desire for holiness, a commitment to the body of Christ, a vision for the future. All these things should not be tools that can be separated from the person, but they should be tools that have become one with the person because in the intensity of battle, there's been a fusion between them and the tool. I have a great desire of God's word. There's nothing that's going to strip it from me. Why? I have a strong grip upon it until it's become fused with who and what I am. You must gain a hold of this thing. It cannot slip from you. There's some things like that that need not slip from you, not just on a spiritual level, but on a personal level. You need to have a fusion with your family, a fusion with your marriage, a fusion with your church, a fusion with your personal responsibility, a fusion with your desire and your vision and your destiny. And you know that's how you become a fanatic. I'm sure by all popular standards, then and now, Eliezer, the net. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I've, I've cut some wood before with an axe, you know, for the fire pit. I want to get a lot of little timber, and I cut and cut and cut and cut the old-fashioned way that whenever I take my hand off that axe, my hand stays curled, and it almost hurts to open it. There's some things in the apostolic life that we need to have held on to for so long and so tight that it hurts us more to let go of it than to continue hanging on to it. And we got to rise to the occasion because while others are letting go, we got to say, I cannot let go. I won't let go. I can't, I can't afford to let go. You're, you're overboard, Brother McGee. You're too intense. You know, you know people dream too big of dreams. You know, uh, Listen, you're better off if you close your ears and don't hear any of that garbage. There's different categories of spiritual greatness. Eleazar was a man that to a certain degree in this time frame was elevated to the upper echelon, if you will. 
Listen, don't ever settle for second or third rate. Don't ever settle for second or third rate or the back seat when you were meant for the front. And I'm not saying that in a literal thing. I'm just saying that in a figurative manner. Don't, don't ever settle for second or third rate. Amen. Because there should be something that's crying out within you. Amen. That says, hey, I'm a front runner. And that's where I'm going to be. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, but what things were gained to me? The apostle said those I counted loss for, the, for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do not count them but dumb. Now, what a statement. I count all these things a pile of manure that I may win Christ. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 3, verse 14, he says, For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until gets tough? No. Until the end. Until the end. Eleazar, what, what, what was it? What took you to be this mighty man of, of valor? Evidently, he had the ability to see something that the others that were leaving could not see. What he was fighting for, what they were trying to protect, what they were trying to defend. He, he was walking by, by faith and not by sight. He had that sense of responsibility. And so he had an initiative inside of him. He was a self-starter, a go-getter. If you'll stand with me, I'll come to a close. He had some spiritual endurance as well. Because this man that no doubt, not just, just on the level of the natural great, but even spiritually great, he doesn't want to live his life with it being marked by unfinished things. Amen. doesn't want to live his life with it being marked by unfinished things. Because sometimes spiritual strength is a test of true greatness. It's one thing to be battled on the level of physical Whenever you start reaching those battles on the spiritual, it's a real test. Test of the character and the person of an individual. Stamina is really needed. That the, the, the physical realm cannot even afford you. If, if Eleazar didn't watch it, he could just have settled into the monotony. When all the romance had gone out of what he was doing or had been doing, it, it would have turned just to pure business. As usual. But instead, he still was caught up in the moment of the romance of what he was doing. He continued then to go at it regardless. Regardless. Folks, we've not yet achieved, we've not yet attained everything there is to obtain. Don't settle into the monotonous. Don't settle into the monotonous. Don't lose the romance of your relationship. Don't lose the romance of what God has enabled and gifted you to do and, and, and shrink from rising to the occasion. Don't just see it as business as usual and the status quo. Continue to go after it. Have the mentality and the attitude, I, I can't, I can't let go. You've got to pursue the kingdom 
I want to be numbered with one of those that can't let go. Even if it means you got to stand there all by myself. I can't allow there to be any unfinished business. It's not, not my, my makeup. It's not my character. Just, just can't seem to, to grasp that. Eleazar, you have the strength up until the time it's no longer to fight. Did you feel everything that you expended during that time, but only at that time? God needs an army of people in this last days. Last days are the key words there. God needs an army of people in this last days that will be unable to let go. Needs an army in these last days that are not willing to assume the battlefield and exit it at every little hair-raising opposition and foe that comes. He needs somebody that's going to say, I'm here until it's finished. I'm here till it's over. Not just here. Not just being a warm body. I got a sword here. Got a sword here. I'm going to use it. I'm going to subject it to the office of the Lord. And I'm going to use it. I might not be as good as such and such. That's okay. God gifted me with this in this certain measure. I'm going to use it. And I know, I know that what I may do just in, in comparison to some might not be grand. But whenever I stack my shoulder against their shoulder and their shoulder stacks against another shoulder, it's going to take a whole lot longer time to weary us all than what it would just to weary one of us. We're, we're going to fight because we're not, an, we're not able, not able to let go. Hallelujah. If we bow our heads in this place, I open this altar. To- Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.